Good morning. Welcome here to Church Online. Um, if you haven't met me before, my name is Vicki, and I'm doing an internship here at the church this summer, so you may be seeing my face uh, a bit more. I have a sister who is four years younger than me, who I love dearly. Unfortunately, I wasn't always the model big sister. Among my unfortunate older sibling habits as a teenager was the habit to frequently link my love for her with what she would do for me. How would I do this? By manipulating her to do things for me. My 14-year-old self, sitting on the couch watching a show, would ask my 10-year-old little sister to go get me a drink. She would reasonably say, no, go get it yourself. And then I would respond with, please, I'll love you forever and ever. And it worked every time, for years. I was always surprised how well it worked. I mean, obviously, I thought, I'll love her forever regardless, she's my sister. And it seemed like a harmless and easy way to get her to do things that I wanted. But for her, I had created this dynamic where my love for her was dependent on the things that she would do for me, not who she was. The way I spoke taught her that my love was earned, not freely given. I fear that sometimes the way that we've spoken about God in the church and the way that we've spoken about being a follower of Jesus has given many people, both inside and outside the church, the idea that God's love is something that is to be earned. We are likely not even truly aware when this concept has snuck into our faith, but the posture that we find ourselves in in relation to God can reveal it to us. As you may know, we've been going through a series as a church based on a book called With by Sky Jathani. In the book, Sky discusses different postures toward God that we can fall into. The first is life under God, which is basically going through life trying to appease God, almost as if everything we do in life is a transaction. If we do this, God will be pleased and do that. The second is life over God, which is relying on formulas and principles instead of knowing God. Basically, using the Bible as some sort of manual for the way that the world works and then applying it to get what we want out of everything. The third posture is life from God, a posture of thinking that God is there to serve our desires. Our primary concern is the blessings or the things that we can get from God. This morning we are covering the fourth posture, or life for God. And life for God is the posture that um, the core belief is that what matters is not God's love for us, but how we can what we can accomplish for him. Now, a focus on action in our faith can be understandable. There is plenty in our faith that requires action. The Bible does talk about building God's kingdom. It talks about sharing the gospel. It talks about pursuing justice. It talks about being made holy. And there's even a verse in the Bible that talks about living our lives as a holy sacrifice for God. The difficulty is that sometimes the mission, what we think we need to be doing for Christ, becomes an idol. It's something that takes the place in our lives that God should hold. It is entirely possible for the work that we are trying to do for God to take the place that God is meant to hold in our lives. And the result, while sometimes it looks productive or successful on the outside, is actually detrimental to our souls. 
we can get so focused on the task that we don't pay attention to the relationship. It's kind of the principle of too much of a good, no, it's not that it's too much of a good thing. It's like you're aiming for something good and you almost hit it. But the thing that you are aiming for is so important, it doesn't matter if you miss it by a mile or by an inch, you've still missed it. Luke, one of the writers of the Gospels of Jesus that recorded what Jesus did when he was on earth, recorded a story of Jesus' interaction with two women named Mary and Martha that kind of illustrate this point. The story says this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, lots of people like to give Martha a hard time. Silly Martha, worried and upset over details when Jesus is right there in front of her. I must say, I have a whole lot of sympathy for Martha. She's the host here. This is her house that Jesus came into. She was responsible for feeding Jesus and his companions. Jesus didn't just go places alone. He had his disciples. And this wasn't just a plus one for supper. Also, it's not like she could just order Chinese or pop some frozen pizzas in the oven and then be sitting at Jesus' feet. All of this stuff needed to be made from scratch. There was work that needed to be done. And here Jesus is telling her that she's missing out on what is truly important when she's focusing on real, tangible needs. If she didn't do this work, how are they going to eat? Like I said, I have sympathy for her. And yet, Jesus said that there's only one thing that's important and that she was missing it. It didn't matter that she was missing it by just a little bit because what she was doing also seemed very important. The most important thing was being missed. And I think it's similar when it comes to accomplishments that become the focus of our own lives when we hold this for God posture in our lives. The goals, they seem really important. They can't be ignored. They're in scripture. Clearly, we need to value them. The problem is when we end up, those accomplishments end up replacing the center of what Christianity is supposed to be, life with God. The problem wasn't the work that Martha was doing, but where her concern was. The center, the focus of her work, that center was off. The entire Bible is a narrative of God wanting to have relationship with people. The creation story lets us know that we were designed to be in relationship with him, and then that relationship was broken. And the rest of the book is about God's efforts to restore that relationship again. It's basically a beautiful love story. There's even a story in the book called Hosea about a man faithfully pursuing his wife despite her repeated unfaithfulness. It's like the Cliff's Notes version of God's efforts to have a relationship with people. 
We may, when we make Christianity about accomplishing things for God instead of being with him, we miss out on this important piece of what it actually means to be fully human, to be in relationship with God. So I have a question for you. What are some of the ways that we get too focused on accomplishing tasks, tasks instead of being in relationship with God? Are there things in what you've considered to be essential to the living out of your faith that have actually taken precedence over having a life with God? The man who wrote many of the letters who are in what we call our New Testament is a man named Paul. And he accomplished many, many things for the kingdom of God. He started churches, he encouraged churches, he shared the gospel. And yet, he said this. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He speaks about this with such conviction and honestly such intimate terms when you're talking about God, knowing and becoming one with him. I mentioned earlier that I'm concerned that sometimes the way that we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus has given us the impression that God's love is something that needs to be earned. Even though it's very popular to talk about needing a relationship with Jesus, and even though we talk about grace, the fact that God loved us first and has forgiven us, we've talked about those things, but many of us still approach God with this feeling that there is something that we need to earn something that we need to become worthy of. Because the Bible talks about things that will or should happen in and through us, we have a tendency to want to be able to present to God, I've done this. I've become this. Love me forever and ever. And part of the reason this may be the case is because it's easier to feel in control if you're able to feel like you've earned a gift. Having no control over what makes us acceptable to God can be terrifying because we have to just trust that God loves us. The problem is that it's impossible for us to feel secure if we are constantly trying to prove ourselves. This for God posture leads us to feel like we are never enough. There is always more that we should be doing more that we should be accomplishing, more that we should be being, because we want to prove ourselves worthy of God's love. So we've placed our value, not in what God says about us, or what he's done for us, but in what we can accomplish. So I have another question for you to think about. What are your thoughts on the idea that we try to prove our value through our work, what we can accomplish for God? Do you? If you find yourself struggling with feeling like you are never enough, like your failings or your humanity are preventing you from being what God requires of you and that he's constantly disappointed in you, you are likely struggling with this life for God posture. Living with this posture makes it that much harder to settle in seasons of not being able to do anything because we feel that we need to be busy all the time, we need to be seeing results, we need to be seeing change. 
something needs to be happening to prove our accomplishments. The thing is, the Apostle Paul, which I had mentioned before, he planted tons of churches. He was very busy for God, but he actually acknowledged that that would not be the case for everyone. And he encouraged people to live a quiet life. In one of his letters, he said this, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. When I first spoke on this posture five years ago, I shared with you how at that time I found myself struggling to adjust to the quieter life of motherhood because I had felt this constant need to make an impact. I had had to learn in that period that my value was not found in what I could do or accomplish for God. And I needed to let that need to accomplish go. There are so many reasons that a person may enter a season of forced quiet. Illness, a certain stage of life, perhaps a global pandemic. And it's okay and even good to make that quiet life with God your goal. Have you ever had a season of quiet that you've had to adjust to and found it difficult? Do you feel that pressure that you're not enough? Are you filling your life with too much noise because you feel that there's something that you need to prove? The irony is, my life is not as quiet as it was five years ago when I had very young children. Now I'm at a different phase in life where I'm accomplishing more, and I actually find that the need for that connection, that relationship with God, is even stronger. I find it helpful to consider any other relationship to be able to understand the dynamic. It could be a relationship with a spouse, a friend, a sibling, or a parent. What's important to maintain that relationship is the relationship. Sometimes, it's important for the relationship to just sit and be with each other. Nothing needs to be accomplished. Other times, you may work on a task together, but even in those times, communication is just as important. Have you ever tried to move furniture with a spouse? Communication is important. I regularly tell my husband, we're still working on it. It's the same with us and God. If we are living with him, we will learn his heart. He will share with us what needs to be done, and we will be inspired to be a part of that work because we want to do it with him. And that work will be done, only be done well, in connection with him. Before we move on, I would like to address the fact that the life for God posture doesn't just affect our understanding of our own value, but it also affects our assessment of others. If you ever find yourself judging others for how good of a Christian they are, or resenting others because you feel like they aren't doing enough, you likely struggle with the life for God posture. Last week, Brian shared with us a parable that Jesus had told called the prodigal son. It's about a younger son who had asked for his inheritance, left, squandered it, ended up destitute, and when he returned home, 
he was determined to beg for forgiveness and ask to be given a position as a servant because he knew that would be better than the way that he was living uh, away from his father's house. But when he returned, he was met with grace that he did not expect or deserve, and his father ended up throwing a party. The thing was, the older son was very upset about this. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrated by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The older brother had so much resentment over what he had felt he had earned and his brother had not, that he couldn't celebrate a restored relationship because he felt that his brother did not deserve it, and he did. When we focus on what we can do for God and our belief is that our value is earned, there is no room in our lives for grace, for ourselves, or for others. And so we can see that even though at first glance we might think that the posture of life for God is harmless or the best of the four postures that we've discussed so far in the series, but you can see here that it actually does harm. It encourages us to miss the mark of what our lives were meant to be. Possibly only by an inch, but that inch robs us of the relationship that we are designed to have with God. It causes us to doubt our own value and feel like we can never measure up, but then it also causes us to harbor judgment and resentment towards others because they can never measure up. I hope that you've been able to take a moment this morning to assess where you are finding your value. It's not about how much you can do for God, but that God wants to be with you. And he would love to work with you. He's not constantly looking down on you with a frown, wishing that you would do more for him. He's inviting you to live a life in relationship with him. Next week, Brian will be sharing with us more about what the posture of a life with God looks like. Until then, I would like to leave you with this prayer. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, God will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from Christ. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think.
I pray this for you. I pray this for us. Thank you for joining us this week. I'll see you online next week.